and um, this entire time, because this entire time she could see things and feel things I couldn't see because I'm not as, as sensitive as she was. Okay. So she's like, we need to switch houses to the elders, like have them live here and we can live there. And I was like, we can just do that, you know. Like, and and she was just like saying stuff like that all the time, and she was terrified. Eventually, I was done with my training as a missionary. My trainer left on transfer day and I was assigned a new companion. He had served in the area before and I lived in the apartment we were now staying in. In fact, he was one of the missionaries there at the scene of whatever had taken place in this apartment that my trainer had refused to elaborate on. Ever since that day in comp study during my first week, I'd been dying to know the full story. Now I thought I might finally have the opportunity to hear it. One night, my curiosity got the better of me and I asked my new companion about the incident. His whole demeanor kind of changed. His reaction wasn't like he was scared to talk about it, but more like he was tired of talking about it. Maybe he'd been asked about it too many times or just felt like it was counterproductive to bring it up. He did say this though, that was the scariest day of my mission, and I don't talk about it at night, but I was now hopeful that maybe, sometime in the future, I would get to hear it. Welcome back you brave souls to the Adversary Podcast. Pretty soon here, we're going to hit a point of no return. So far, most of the stories that I've shared have been about apartments being haunted, and all of those were missionary apartments. But today's story is a little bit different. Ever since I began actively seeking out these kinds of accounts, I'd always supposed that the stories I'd find would take place solely on missions. And for the most part, I was right. I was talking to people I knew had served missions, and that's where I anticipated their stories would come from. But two weeks ago, that changed, after I had a conversation with a girl who didn't have to wait until she was a missionary to contend with forces beyond her control. She told me that she had her first experience when she was 12. This girl grew up in Orem, Utah, one of the last places on earth you'd expect something like what I'm about to tell you to happen. Some seven or eight years ago, the girl I was talking to had just returned home from a summer camp. In her house, she had her own bedroom upstairs adjacent to her parents' bedroom with both rooms sharing a wall. One night, not long after getting home from camp, she remembered waking up during the night and feeling like something was wrong. An immediate amount of scaredness was how she described it. She actually knew about sleep paralysis and thought at first it was just that. But she also said that she was completely awake, or felt like she was, so she wasn't sure what to think. She tried to move her limbs and discovered that she couldn't, another feature of sleep paralysis. She was able to raise her head though, and saw at the foot of her bed, a black, shadowy figure. A number of years ago, I had had a very similar experience involving the same kind of figure that I just chalked up to sleep paralysis, so I was about to dismiss her story as merely a hallucination, until I heard what happened next. Still unable to move, she looked over at the old radio she had on the nightstand next to her bed. She had bought it at a yard sale and liked to listen to it before going to sleep. She thought that if she could just get to the radio and throw it against the wall that separated her and her parents' room, her parents would hear the noise and know that something was wrong. But as soon as this thought crossed her mind, the radio was knocked off the nightstand and onto the floor. So now she didn't know what to do. The next thing she knew, her knees were hanging over the edge of the bed. It had dragged her to the bottom. She still couldn't move, and she stared directly at the figure. She started thinking that to get out of this, she had to pray really hard over and over again until it went away. And then suddenly, the shadow was gone. 
Finding that she was able to move again, she ran out of her room and banged on the door to her parents' bedroom, which was locked. But there was no answer. She was crying and begging for them to open up, but no one came to the door. Finally, she gave up and ran down four flights of stairs to her older sister's room. Together, they went back up to their parents' room, and immediately her mom and dad opened the door when her older sister knocked. They said, we didn't know what happened. We didn't hear anyone. And the girl was like, how is that possible? I was crying and pounding on the door. I didn't know what to do. Eventually, things calmed down, and she was able to tell her parents what had happened, which she believed had never happened before. But her parents responded with something surprising. They said, no, we knew about this when you were younger, because you would see things. But this was the first experience the girl remembered, and it only picked up from there. About two weeks later, this girl was in her same room, same bed, when she woke up during the night and it felt like something was on her chest. She wondered if this was the same thing, the shadowy figure, from her last experience. After the first incident, she had talked with her dad about different ways to get rid of whatever was tormenting her. As she lay there now, she said she just had to think, you don't have power over me, and then pray through it. Once she was able to move again, she looked around and caught a glimpse of a black, smoky kind of personage leaving through the window. Episodes involving this shadow person continued to occur about twice a month for the next two years. Her dad blessed the house several times in hopes that it would rid the place of whatever was harassing his daughter. But nothing seemed to prevent these encounters from happening on a consistent basis. I, however, was now convinced more than ever that the culprit in this situation was not some spirit, but sleep paralysis. Her accounts up to this point had all taken place at night when she was in bed sleeping, and everything she had experienced were common symptoms of sleep paralysis. For example, the shadowy figure in the room, common symptom. The feeling of weight on the chest or of being dragged, both symptoms. Literally everything this girl had described could be found in the sleep paralysis Wikipedia article. This explanation also made sense in light of the fact that the episodes occurred so frequently and that her dad's blessings apparently had no effect. It would just be a part of this girl's life that she'd have to deal with. Eventually, the visits from the shadow figure became more and more sporadic as the years went by, and stopped altogether after the girl got her mission call. In a few months, she would be leaving to serve as a missionary in Mexico, but now she was afraid of something else. She knew that missionaries tended to have more of these kinds of experiences, but she had also reached a point where she was tired of being afraid. She was 19 now, not 12. She didn't want to be scared of these things anymore. The months leading up to her mission went by without incident until the last week before she was slated to leave. In the corner of her bedroom was a mirror. One night, a few days prior to her departure, she saw a shadow in the mirror while she was sitting in bed. At first, she thought it was her own shadow, so she moved her blanket up and down to see if it would move too, but it didn't. She looked away from the mirror and then back again, only to find that the shadow was now in a different place. She moved her blankets again and her head, trying to get the shadow to react and finally saw her own shadow, separate from the one that had changed locations. But this was the first time she remembered not being scared. She was close to going on her mission, and a sense of determination had set in. She got out of bed and went to open the door so as to not feel so isolated. But when she turned the doorknob, nothing happened. The door wouldn't open. She tried locking and unlocking it, but to no avail. She couldn't get out of the room. She yelled for her dad, who heard her, and after a struggle, managed to get the door open. Instantly, he felt a dark presence in the room. He had always believed his daughter when she told him about her episodes, because he could feel it too. This is why he had blessed the house so many times. On this night, he said a prayer to bless the house again and gave his daughter a blessing as well. He stayed up with her in her room until she could fall asleep. Now I wasn't sure what to think. All along, sleep paralysis seemed like the most reasonable explanation to her stories. But with this new development, 
I was less certain that that was the answer. I then asked about her mission itself. Did she have any experiences like she feared she would? She told me a story. At some point during her mission in Mexico, she was serving in an area that was particularly dangerous, so much so that proselyting, like meeting people on the street, had to end at 5pm because it got dark pretty quickly. They could still teach lessons if they had appointments, but they had to be back home by 9. This girl hadn't ever brought up to her companion that, for her, the veil was thin. In other words, she hadn't ever made a comment like, hey, sometimes I see things, because it tended to freak people out, she said. But anyway, one evening, it was getting close to 9pm, so she and her cop started to make their way back to their apartment. For some reason, they couldn't go the normal way, and instead had to cross through a red zone. Red zones were places in her mission that missionaries were told to avoid, if possible. But the sisters didn't really have a choice, so they went in. About 10 minutes away from the apartment, the sister got a feeling she hadn't had in a long time. She said to her companion, Hey, something's wrong. There's something dark or something bad that's following us. We need to get home, right now. They picked up the pace and started running, eventually reaching one of the darkest spots of their area, and it seemed like they were alone. But as they were passing through, an elderly lady walked across the street and grabbed the sister's companion from behind. But it wasn't in an aggressive way, more of an attempt to get their attention. It worked. The woman's voice was full of concern. She told the sisters, There is a man following you. I'm just going to walk with you through this area until there's light again. But when the sisters looked around, there was nobody there. Finally, they made it back into their apartment, but the feeling still pervaded. Instead of going through the nightly routine of planning and study, they decided to just go straight to companionship prayer. While kneeling on the floor and saying the prayer, they could feel this swirling, much like the sisters in France experienced. Something was still there, even after the prayer. So they said, all right, we're just going to sit here and wait until it gets better. And after a long while, it did. Surprisingly, for the entire 18 months she was a missionary, this was the only time something like this happened. Even at night in her room in Mexico, nothing like her previous episodes in Utah ever recurred. Aside from this one incident, everything else was more or less smooth sailing. Until she got home. Not long after returning from her mission, the visitations from the shadow figure picked back up. But now they were worse than they had ever been. Although she switched bedrooms, it didn't make a difference. This girl met with her stake president, basically the man who oversees several congregations rather than just one, and discussed what she'd been going through with the shadow, the paralysis, the locked doors, everything she'd been plagued by and was seemingly powerless to do anything about. It's time I talked a little bit about the priesthood, a vital concept in the Latter-day Saint religion. The priesthood in this context is not an order or group of priests. It doesn't refer to an organization or even people. Simplified, it's a power. More accurately, it's an authorization to hold and exercise a power, but for our purposes, it can just be defined, and this is what Latter-day Saints believe, as power given to man from God. According to church doctrine, only men are eligible to receive this priesthood, and it's conferred upon every male missionary before he begins his service. Church members believe that a man who holds or has the priesthood gains access to a certain set of abilities. One of these, for example, is healing, both physical and spiritual. Blessings, which are performed by priesthood holders laying their hands on the head of the afflicted, are basically a stronger version of a prayer, because they're done with the priesthood. Instructions on how to conduct a blessing are included in the handbook distributed to each missionary. Other duties associated with the priesthood, such as baptism and dedicating graves, are also included. But there's one priesthood practice that doesn't have an entry in the handbook, yet may still need to be utilized. 
The fact that it lacks a prescribed formula hints that there may not be time to consult a handbook in a situation where this might be used. The ordinance, or action, is the casting out of evil spirits. Despite it not being mentioned in the handbook, every missionary knows the procedure. When an apartment or house is suspected to have a spirit in it, and there's no immediate danger, a prayer offered by a priesthood holder may be sufficient to rid the dwelling of the spirit. This is why sister missionaries have to call the elders if they want their apartments blessed, because the elders can use the priesthood, resulting in a stronger blessing. This is the method employed most of the time. However, there is a second method. Although rare, another procedure may be followed in the event of an imminent threat. It involves raising the right arm to the square, a 90 degree angle with the palm open, invoking the name of Jesus Christ, and commanding whatever is there to depart. This practice is generally a last resort, but may be the only one available in dire circumstances. For this reason, this ordinance can be performed with identical effect by both men and women. For sisters who are alone and whose plight may be helpless, this can be a path of deliverance. While only men hold the priesthood, members of the church believe that God will not abandon his children, and if he is called upon in this way, whether by a man or a woman, in a moment of desperate need, he will intervene. What I just said is along the lines of what this girl's stake president told her. He advised her to raise her arm to the square if things ever got out of hand again. She didn't know she could do this. Her whole life, she had just assumed that was something only men were authorized to do. But now she could fend for herself. If her dad couldn't get to her, she had a way to fight back. One night, some time after her meeting with the stake president, the situation in her room was devolving into chaos, to a degree more intense than before. She had no choice but to act. She remembers the momentum she felt as she raised her hand and said the words to call for the assistance she desperately needed. In an instant, everything went away and her room, which seconds before had been in the grips of something that had long oppressed her, was calm. Today, she still has these experiences. Besides her family and two of her friends, no one else knows that she deals with this. Since meeting with her stake president, she's had to perform the aforementioned ordinance on two separate occasions. She often prays for relief, but knows that her spiritual sensitivity, despite its drawbacks, is a gift. Next Monday, we will be taking a break. The last five episodes of the season will start on August 3rd and continue until the end of August. Thank you again for listening, and we hope we didn't scare you away. The Adversary Podcast is hosted by me, Ethan Lars. Thank you again to those who provided the true accounts for this episode. We will be back in two weeks.